And this morning, I'm pleased that I get to continue on in our King and Kingdom series. It's been, it's been a great series that we started uh, at the beginning of this year. And I mean, what a topic. The King and His Kingdom is absolutely huge. It's such a vast topic. And at times, it can be like, I don't really know how to put my finger on this and how to land this. And if you've been here at all, you'll have heard, I'm sure, that as we think about the kingdom of God, we can think about these kind of three entities, that we have God, who is this ruling, reigning king. And he rules over a people, this other entity to his kingdom, his kingdom people, who then dwell and live in a certain place at a certain time. And these three aspects work together and help us understand something of his kingdom. You'll probably have also heard how it's a now and not yet kingdom. It's now because when Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, he brought the kingdom near and he set it in motion. And yet, it's not quite yet in its fullness because its fullness will not come until Jesus returns and quashes all other kingdoms and brings his kingdom home and we get to live in the fullness of that. What a day that will be. And if you were here last week, you will have been reminded that if you're a Christian, you're here called to enjoy, express, and extend his kingdom. That's what we are doing day in, day out. That's what we are called to do. And as I was sat here last week, I was sitting there thinking, Wow, it's almost like Tim's preach and this idea of extending, expressing, and enjoying God's kingdom. It's almost like it kind of lines up my preach, almost like somebody's kind of planned this whole thing. And as much as I joke, I genuinely want to take a minute to thank Tim Francis, wherever he may be right now, for the gift he has. Over here. He's, he's around somewhere. Oh, there he is, hovering at the back. Because Tim, Tim serves us phenomenally well by writing these series. Uh, he encourages those of us who speak from here and speak over at Southbourne. Um, and you bless us, Tim, by the way you bring your gift. So thank you so much for all that you do. So getting back to the topic this morning, we spent kind of the beginning of this series really thinking about the big concepts of the kingdom, taking a, a real look across the biblical span of what that might mean. But today, I think I want to help land some of the things we might have heard because we're going to be considering a clash of kingdoms and what that means. And to do that, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. We're going to spend some time considering what it means when kingdoms clash and how to live in those clashing kingdoms. And towards the end of this morning, we're going to move towards the time of taking communion together. So that's where we're headed. But I said, we, we really need to um, understand the book of Daniel in order to do that. I can't read the whole of Daniel this morning. Well, that's not true. I could read the whole of Daniel, but that's about all I would have time to do. So instead of that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and give a summary and in order to do that, I've got to give credit to the Bible Project. If you don't know who the Bible Project are, they are a fantastic group who put YouTube videos up summarizing books of the Bible. And I've stolen their summary, I've shortened it for our use this morning, and uh, I'm going to talk about that now. 
Because the book of Daniel, which, by the way, if you're looking for an Old Testament book to start getting into the Old Testament, I would suggest this is a pretty good one. It's got a bit of everything in. It's quite short. It's easy to read. Head to Daniel and read it if you've never read the book of Daniel. It starts with this backdrop of the Babylonian Empire launching an attack onto Jerusalem, and they capture a bunch of the Israelites. That's the kind of setting that Daniel's in. And then they bring these Israelites back across the desert into the kingdom of Babylon. And then the book begins, and we find four of these guys called Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and um, Azariah. You might know those last three better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four guys are exiled, and they end up living in this new kingdom of Babylon. And yet, they're living there knowing that they live there really as citizens of Israel, God's holy people, and also with a thought and knowledge that one day they know it's been prophesied that that will be restored, that they should really be looking to go home. So they're living in this tension of a clash of kingdoms. And part of the purpose of this book is looking at these guys and seeing the way that they maintain hope There's a thread of hope throughout the writing of Daniel about a future kingdom that is coming when we live in a clash of kingdoms. And at its simplest, the book can be divided into two parts. Chapters one to six tell the story of these four guys. An interesting point to note is that um, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but actually we find some of the chapters here written in Aramaic which was the language that was spoken by the Babylonians, that might give us a clue as to how these guys were living. They didn't escape the culture they were in. In fact, this book was written partly in Aramaic. But then later, in chapters 7 through to 12, the second half of the book, it flicks back to Hebrew. And this contains a whole bunch of visions and dreams. Um, And they contain a principle and a promise. And that's where I want us to start this morning, because I believe it speaks into the heart of some of the stuff that I'm seeing and hearing around me at the moment in in the country, well, the kingdom, but you could say the country and the culture that we're living in here right now at the moment. I grew up in what I thought were quite settled times. It felt like this country was pretty stable, and if I'm honest, I thought I could kind of look forward and guess roughly what my future would look like. And if I'm honest, I think I put quite a lot of my hope into that settledness. But now what I hear and what I see are things like this. Our NHS... Oh, I'm not trying to stray into politics here this morning. I've got to say that at the out. If I do, I'm sorry, that's not my intention. But I see and hear things like this. Our NHS is in crisis. There's been loads of political change over the last few years, and with an election coming up at some point, there's going to be more. We had a queen who died, and we've now got a new king. Loads of sectors are striking. The moral compass of our country seems to be moving further and further away from the Christian values that I grew up and felt that it often had. And when it comes to pensions, for people my age and younger, sorry, but I hear the message, there's probably not going to be a lot left. I wonder if that sums it up quite well. 
as to what you might be feeling and hearing and seeing around you. How are you feeling about the future? It's a good question, but what's that got to do with Daniel? Well, as we dive in and have a look at chapters two and seven, we find here that, like I say, God is giving a principle and a promise. He's giving the kingdoms then a massive warning. And we find, therefore, that God is giving us here and now a principle. In chapter two, we find that Daniel finds himself working for King Nebuchadnezzar. The king wakes up one morning and has a dream, uh, having had a dream. He calls all of his wise men and sorcerers into the room and says, can you tell me the interpretation of this dream because he's troubled by it? They say, okay, king, we'll tell you the dream, what the dream meant, but you need to tell us what the dream is. And then here's where we get an insight as to what it was like for these guys to live under a ruler of Babylon. The king says, no. I'm not gonna tell you what my dream is. What I want you to do, because you're wise sorcerers, is I want you to tell me what my dream is, and I want you to tell me the interpretation, and if you're not gonna do that, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. We don't really get that kind of ruling at the moment in this nation. So we can see what happens. The wise men can't do it. Of course they can't. The sorcerers can't tell the king what his dream was and what it meant. So, so they start hunting down the wise men in the land until they get to Daniel. And Daniel says, hang on a minute. Let me seek my God and then I will come to the king and I will tell him what his dream is and what it meant. And he does that. He sees a statue of a king this was the king's dream, a statue of a king, and its head is made of gold. Its chest and arms are made of silver, its legs and waist are made of bronze, and its feet are made of clay and iron mixed together. And then in the dream, Daniel sees this stone carved out, and this stone comes in and smashes the statue apart into many pieces. And then God gives the interpretation of this dream to Daniel. And we pick up at verse 44 where it says this, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by the hands of human, a rock that broke the iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold to pieces. The overall message, kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall, but there is one kingdom that will never fail and will never fall. Then we fast forward to chapter seven, and here we find that this time Daniel has a dream. This time he sees four beasts. You remember there were four bits to the king? Well, Daniel this time sees four beasts. They come up out of the sea, sea during this vision, and they each look different, and one of them is particularly troubling to Daniel. But then, in this vision, he sees God arrive. He sees God sit down on his throne, and God destroys the four beasts. 
And again, we pick up in Daniel 7 at verse 13, where Daniel is then told this. So he says this, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Do you remember I said there was a principle and a promise? Well, here's the principle. Every kingdom, every country or government or ruling power, it will come and it will go. They will clash with other kingdoms and they will rise and they will fall. There is a principle there for us to remember this morning. And yet, there is a promise. And thank God for this promise. Because there is a promise that the kingdom of God will never, ever fail. It will not fall. When Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, he brought the kingdom of God near. And we live in the sum of the good of that now. But we look to a day We look to a day, for those of us who know Jesus, when he will establish his new heaven and his new earth, and the fullness of that kingdom is realized and lived in and celebrated, and we get to do that. And let me tell you that his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed. So let me ask you today, where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is it in the systems and structures of this country that we live in, in the UK? Is it in having access to free healthcare? Is it knowing that you have a pension for your future? Is it in the prolonged period of safety that I am so thankful for that we have lived in? These things are good things, but we need a reminder. We need a reminder that our real hope and our real future is in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom. If you believe in him, if you believe in him, then all those other things crumble away as God reminds us that we are part of his eternal glorious kingdom. It will never fall and it will never fail. So does this mean I shouldn't be concerned about what's going on around me? No, not at all. But there's a principle. There's a principle to remember. I'm not surprised when things come and go. I need to not be surprised as I see this nation doing this because I'm told here, this nation will rise and it will fall. But I can fix my eyes knowing that I am a citizen of heaven. And that is where my hope lies. So can I encourage you to call this to mind daily? Find a way that works for you and find some time to consciously consider what it means that every day you are a citizen of heaven if you are here and know that Jesus is your maker. Let it shape your thoughts. And then let it lead you on into actions. 
that represent him. Because kingdoms rise and fall, but you have hope, Christian, because you belong to a kingdom that will never fade away. Amen? Amen. So that's God's kingdom. But then that's like the second half of Daniel. But we need to zip back to the first half because I want to think about getting personal with this and what it means to live in this clash of kingdoms, which will rise and will fall. So how is it, therefore, that we live in the UK or anywhere else in the world as citizens of here, but also as citizens of this heavenly kingdom? How is it we are meant to live? For this, we're going to have a look at Daniel in the lion's den, a famous story I'm sure lots of you will know, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Why? Well, these four people were living in a clash of kingdoms. They're trying to honor God, like I said, trying to observe his holy law as Jewish people, but they found themselves working and living and existing over here in Babylon, living under rulers and kings who, quite frankly, did not care at all about the Jewish law and how it was established in their land. Now, we're going to look at two stories, and whilst they're different stories, they're fascinating because if you put them side by side, they actually are like parallel stories. They have many of the same component parts. So I'm going to have a whistle-stop tour through these now. There's a slide behind me. I apologize about my formatting. Oh, and it is very small. So you will hear as I talk through um, the parallels between these two stories, um, which I failed to show on screen very well. So Daniel 3 tells us about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're these three guys who are working for the king. And the first thing we find in this story is that the king decides to exalt himself to God's status. He decides to make a statue and say that everyone must bow down to it. He issues a command out to the land. Everyone must come and bow down to this statue of me because I am like God. And we find that this command is in direct opposition to God's holy law that we find in the early part of the Bible. So what do these three guys do? They continue to respect God's holy law and they worship God and they won't bow down and worship this statue of the king. We then find that a bunch of other advisors to the king um, and who are part of this Babylonian empire, they come and they snitch on these guys. They come and tell tales on them, on the, on them to the king. And they say, king, 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 these guys, they will not bow down and worship you. What do the guys do? They don't protest, but equally, they don't back down. And as a result of them doing that, they are punished. They are punished and they're thrown into a fiery furnace at a ridiculous temperature that kills even the guards who put them in. And yet, these guys are protected by the physical presence of God represented through an angel. They come out of that furnace, and we find that the king at that time gains a greater respect for God. So that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We then quickly pull up Daniel in Daniel 6, who's thrown into the lion's den. And we find a very similar story. We find that uh, the king has some people come to him and, and, and they say to him, why don't you make a law 
that says that people should only pray to you. And he goes, all right then. And he exalts himself to God's status. Does this sound familiar? Like any sorts of rulers you might know in this world who like to think that they have God's status? So he passes a law and says, for the next month, people can only pray to me. We find that this law is in direct opposition to God's holy law that we find at the start of the Bible. What does Daniel do? Well, he continues to worship his God. He goes home, he shuts the doors, shuts the windows, and opens one window which faces towards Jerusalem, gets down on his knees, and he prays. Meanwhile, some of the king's advisors, who are from the kingdom of Babylon, go and find Daniel, see him through the open window, go back to the king, and they snitch on him. They say, Daniel has not been observing your law. He's praying still to his God. What does Daniel do? He doesn't protest. He doesn't back down. Instead, he's dragged in front of the king and chucked into a room full of lions for a night. And what do we see? We see that he's protected, and we're told it's through the physical presence of an angel who's in there with him. The next morning, the king rushes to Daniel, because the king actually liked Daniel, and he went to find him. And when he finds Daniel alive, this king gains a greater respect for the true God of the true kingdom. So there's loads of things we could draw out of these stories this morning, but I'm just gonna draw on a few because these things, I think, can help us as we navigate a life of living in a clash of two kingdoms. And the first thing is interesting. Whilst I said these are parallel stories, these are not the same stories. Like I said, please go and read these stories because they're fascinating. But these, my first point doesn't come as a parallel between these two things. And in fact, it's not something I expected to be up here talking about this morning. But once I saw it in the text, I just couldn't get away from it. And I kept feeling like God was putting his finger on this contrast between the two stories. And it's this. It's that as we live in a clash of kingdoms, we see that these guys stuck to kingdom values and yet they express them in really different ways. I think as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate so much more the beauty that we see in diversity. I love the way God has made humankind. It's just incredible in all its shapes and sizes. And God has made us in a myriad of different ways, and therefore it stands to reason that God would express his kingdom through us in a myriad of different ways. When I was younger, I didn't really get this. I didn't understand why everybody wasn't loud and outspoken like me. <laughs> and if I'm, if I'm really brutally honest, there were times and moments where I thought, can God really use somebody who might be quiet to extend his kingdom? And if we look hard at these stories, amongst the similarities, we see this different. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are loud, outspoken people. The king's command is carried out in public, and these guys remain steadfast to God's kingdom in the public eye. Everyone else is bowing down, and they're stood up. It's pretty obvious at that moment that they're sticking to the kingdom value of putting God first. But what's hilarious is once they're given a chance to go and see the king and explain themselves to him. 
Like, man, the dialogue that follows is pretty full on. They confront him, and they are more than happy to be loud, outspoken, and throw at him why they will not bow down and why they will only worship the God of the kingdom. It's amazing. And I imagine there's loads of extroverts in the room right now who are like, woohoo, yeah, that would be me. I'd be up there, like, giving it all that. Come on. But then we flip to Daniel. And Daniel comes across as an entirely different guy. The law is issued, and he stands firm to God's holy law. But how does he do this? In an entirely different way. He goes home. He goes somewhere quiet. He shuts all the doors and the windows. He heads upstairs, presumably where he was hoping he wouldn't be seen. And he opens the windows towards Jerusalem and gets down on his knees and prays. He is making a bold stand for the kingdom. And he was doing it where he thought no one else could see. That's a provocation. And then, when he's rushed past the king to be thrown into the lion's den, and this king loved Daniel, there's no words recorded. He's just dragged past and thrown in. And then hilariously, when he comes out the next morning, the dialogue is really small. Not much is said. He praises God, all glory to God. I love you, king, even though you threw me to be eaten by a load of lions. How he did that, I'm not sure. But he hardly uses any words. He comes across to me as quite a quiet kind of guy. So both of these people stay true to God's kingdom and his laws, but they express it in entirely different ways. And I want to encourage you this morning about the way you might bring the kingdom. Are you somebody who's quiet and thinks, I struggle in social situations. I would clam up if I was told that I had to go in front of a king and tell them why it was I had honored God instead of someone else. Let me tell you, that you are expressing the kingdom of God if you make the hard choice and continue to honor him like Daniel did. And expressing the kingdom without words is valid. Some people need to know that today because there's all sorts of people sat here. There are some people who are young who think they may not have a contribution to bring to this kingdom. You absolutely have a contribution to express God's kingdom in the way you do as a young person. Those who are old and feel like they might be past it. No, you guys are bringing God's kingdom as you make decisions that are bold and make a stand for him. There's all sorts of different ways, but I just want people who may be sitting here and have felt discouraged in the past to know this, that it's a lie to think that you cannot express God's kingdom in the situation you find yourself and the way God has made you. God made all creation to bring him praise and that means every single person in here is part of God's kingdom if they believe in him and you can express God's kingdom in the way that you've been made. Moving then on to my next point before we start to move towards communion. The other point I wanted to draw out of those two stories this morning um, is this, and it's profound. Are you ready? Are you ready for my profound point? Living in a clash of kingdoms is normal. 
Living in tension as a Christian is normal. And I'm preaching this to myself as much as any of you. Because the truth of the matter is, the moment you become a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven, and yet you're living right here, right now. So you are automatically living in this clash of two tensions. And it's normal to feel like this. And I find it all too easy to fall into another trap and another way of thinking that somehow it shouldn't be this way. And yes, on the one hand, it shouldn't. And I look forward to a day when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom and I just live in one kingdom. What a day that will be. But for the time being, I'm trying not to believe the lie that is sold to us by our culture. This lie of comfort that I love to take in, hook, line, and sinker. That I want comfort. I want ease. I want Jesus to be like one of those package holidays that you see on all the adverts at the moment, getting ready for people buying summer holidays. And yet I don't see this reflected in the pages of the Bible. I don't see this ease and comfort in Jesus' life. And I certainly don't see it in the early church happening. I see joy there, but I don't see comfort and ease. Give me your hands up if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, box set on TV. In my opinion, the greatest ever box set that's existed. It's about a group of American paratroopers during World War II. And there's a moment where one of the soldiers just dropped off some ammo, he's just about to leave, and he turns to the captain and says, it looks like you're surrounded. And he, this captain turns back and says, Lieutenant, we're paratroopers. We're meant to be surrounded. And that's exactly how it is for us as Christians. It's normal. Look at Matthew 13. Jesus tells the parable of a farmer sowing seed. A farmer went out to sow seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other Others fell on good soil where it produced a crop of 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. Band, do you mind coming up, please? The, the sun scorched. The birds pecked away and ate. The weeds choked. The rocks blocked. It's a nice uplifting message this morning. But remember, there's a principle there's a principle. Kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall. And yet there's a promise because Jesus has brought his kingdom near. And one day when he returns to establish his kingdom, until that point, we are called to grow Christians. We are called to produce a different crop, each of us. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So Christian, look to that kingdom, and let me encourage you to stand firm. Stand firm, press on, remain 
faithful to his kingdom like we've seen these guys did this morning because his kingdom is near. It is near to you and me. It isn't always easy to endure a clash of kingdoms. Please don't hear that this morning. But that's where I want us to start to turn our thoughts towards communion. This is such an important thing because communion isn't just something that we do out of habit. But actually, this is where um, we take communion as a declaration. It is a fantastic reminder of everything that the king is, and that he's won for us, and then the kingdom that we have stepped into as those who believe in him. And I don't know about you, but I need a constant reminder of those fantastic things. So the way we're gonna do this is that there are four, dot, uh, four stations dotted around the room. There's two at the back and two at the front. Um, and on those, you'll find two little cups stacked together. Um, you'll find there's some grape juice and some bread. There's gluten-free at each of the stations. Um, and what we're going to do is I'd love us now to just head towards these tables, grab, uh, grab one of the stacks of cups, and then bring it back to your seats. And in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And if you're at home, uh, why not go grab something from your kitchen right now that resembles communion? Okay. I hope you've got the, the bits you need for communion. And we're just gonna, if I can encourage you to bring conversations to a close, and we're just gonna focus in on our incredible God. And the way I want us to do this this morning is, I want now to give a moment for us to think about kingdom living as we're all living in this clash, those of us here who believe in Jesus. And I think it's right and it's fitting to think about areas and ways that it can be hard and areas therefore that might have led us astray. Areas of where living in this tension might have caused us to sin and not live in the fullness of the kingdom that has been brought near. So I just wanna give us a moment to think about that. Because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take the bread and let's eat this in remembrance of Jesus's forgiveness for us. Jesus, we remember you, that you walked this earth and felt the draw of giving into the wrong kingdom. But you didn't give into that presence, that pressure. And because of the perfect life and perfect death that you lived, we thank you for your forgiveness over us. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Let's drink the juice. Jesus, we proclaim your death and we remember your covenant that is found in your blood. You bought for us with your death that new covenant. And Lord, would you help us to live out this new covenant? Help us to live in this world and in the kingdoms we find ourselves. And yet, Lord, would you fill us with the boldness and passion that we need to never compromise, to never compromise, but to be ever honoring your name in all that we do, in the places that we find ourselves. Amen. We're going we're gonna to close the meeting here, um, having taken communion together and kind of being spurred on into the week that is ahead. But I want to give an opportunity to respond. If I could ask the prayer team um, to come out and head down towards the prayer banner, that would be fantastic. Because there are a few um, people that I really had on my heart this morning um, and ways to respond. Because I just, that point about expressing the kingdom differently and people who may have felt that actually the way they can bring the kingdom isn't valid. I just want to encourage you that if that really landed with you, then please come and have somebody pray for you. Talk to them about it and then let them pray for you and be encouraged that actually the way you can express the kingdom is absolutely valid. But also for those who are finding the tension of kingdom living hard, and when I say it's normal, it's like, oh, really? This is normal. Which kind of ties in to Bernie's word earlier about those who are in a winter season and actually seeing some of the nearness of God's kingdom break out in your life, then we would love to stand alongside you. We'd love to stand alongside you and just pray with you this morning, encourage you and build you up as you stand firm and as you press on and as you remain faithful to God and his kingdom this morning. So if any of those things, or if you want prayer for anything else, if any of those things uh, resonate with you, then please come down to the prayer area. Um, Otherwise, we're going to close the meeting there. So thank you so much. And uh, I pray that you would know God's kingdom as you go about where you are this week. Amen.